Welcome to the Regeneration Podcast, friends. Um, on your screen, if you're watching on YouTube or momentarily through voice, you're going to recognize our guest again today. It's our third time uh, with our friend Guido Preparata. How are you doing, Guido? Fine. Thank you, Mike. How's anything, everybody else? Anything change since we last saw you? Let me first say that, um, uh, again, if people are attuned, and we hope they are, uh, you were you were in the process of moving. So one of we've done probably, I don't know, maybe 20 of these podcast so far. But one of my favorite memories was where you were moving from room to room in kind of an empty house, sitting down in different, and you never stopped with your talking, you know, and, and just uh, <laughs> path-breaking stuff. I just thought it was a tour de force, you know, and I'm sure a lot of yeah. our listeners remember that, Michael? I do remember. Yeah, it was Correct. A, <clears throat> virtual tour. <laughs> so where did you, where did you end up? Where are you now? There's a move. I, I'm I'm in Rome uh, right now. I'm just uh, we're, we're camped here at my aunt's house, and which is a floor above where I used to live. And and yeah, and we'll be moving to the center of uh, Italy, Numbia, shortly to begin a new life. And so it's uh, exciting. And I'm excited to meet you face to face for the first time in a few weeks. Indeed, in, Umbr- and, in Umbria. Yeah. Well, where Mike and I are gonna meet, uh, hook up soon. Uh, yeah, yeah, I really very look forward to that. Yeah, very, very exciting. exciting. Today, we're going to go through, uh, as used as a touchstone for our conversation, a book that uh, both Michael and I have read. Um, And it's a book uh, about to be released, or can people find it already, Guido? I forget. Uh, One half half of it uh, appeared as an afterword to a book by uh, Sean Stone. Oliver Stone's uh, son. Oliver Stone's uh, son that was called uh, New World Order. Okay. And it came out about six years ago. And yeah, so that first chapter is pretty much there with some revisions, and there's a whole new chapter added to that, which is kind of a follow-up to that part, which um, Sean was interested in uh, the contribution of the Catholics to you know, the general power game. And so I addressed that, and then I continued doing so in the second, okay. in the second part. Yeah, and so I, I think it's... Uh... It's a wild ride. I've read, I think I've read it several, several times. Um, what I thought we would use as something of a story arc today is um, some, I think, fructifying uh, provocative quotes or like, insights from your preface to the book, which brings together these two parts and kind of lays out kind of the theme of what you're going to unpack. And uh, the preface is called A Cross Between Curtis LeMay and the Wizard of Oz. And um, <laughs> Curtis LeMay, there's a Curtis LeMay quote that begins it, you know, um, he's a, he's a general and he says, we scorched and boiled and baked to death more people in Tokyo on that night of March 9th through 10th, 1945, than went up in vapor at Hiroshima and Nagasaki combined. And, uh, that's your kind of insipid. If we take a word from a papal encyclical, what, what did you hope to, uh, what were you hoping to stir up in people when you use that? And it's in connection, connection, which I think I'll bring back a quote from Jacques Ellul, somebody we've brought up before. Yeah. I don't know. I'm uh, I, I'm addressing. It's very much addressed to to Americans and uh, you know a people that's very very close to my heart um, for a variety of reasons. One because I, I was myself born in the states and grew up in a culture that I came to know very well. Um, a second one is if there is any chance of making major drastic changes, revolutionary changes to the world. All of us Europeans or non-Americans can talk as much as we want, but the job will have to be carried out by Americans because they are close to the center of power because it will be up to them. There's no other way around it. So 
And, and so I have great hopes, but also great misgivings about it all, because I also see very much that, this, that the power apparatus has stupefied its people. I mean, uh, a, a rebellious tradition in the States existed up until exactly a century ago, and then they wiped it out. I guess the um, campaign of Eugene Debs and the uh, American Socialist Party at, and on that platform was the last vestiges of that movement. Uh, of a true were, left, right? True left. Yeah. True anarchist uh, trade union, the Wobblies, um, which Veblen cited, and, uh, and a very important movement. And it's been completely erased and buried. Uh, I, I cannot go into it. I could log, talk at length. Uh, a trip that I made with um, my wife to places like Centralia, Washington, where the Wobblies were very strong and a lot of massacres. They sent militiamen to repress Everything, and these are historical, these are landmarks in the history of the trade union movements of America. These things in three books, there's not a trace. Some people remember and they take you to places, and I remember, anyway, uh, one of them is, uh, is, is an antique store, but some of the rooms were where they had the summary uh, kangaroo court, and then when they uh, hanged all the wobblies at the nearby bridge, and there's pieces of that, but only locals will tell you where all of that is. So there is, all of this is to say that there is a memory, but... It's no longer there. Uh, it, they've erased, and um, and 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 they've people have been stupefied overall and fanaticized so much. And whenever you see Americans doing their duty as as dissidents, they, a lot of them are just are donning um, their lapel the the flag, you know, and saying that we're doing our duty as patriots. And I'm saying, don't do that anymore. I mean, I know what you're doing, but see yourselves, you know. Remember Melville, you mm -hmm. know. Patriots only to heaven. You got to connect with everybody else. Don't give a sense that you have a bigger task. But I mean, there's 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 a world with you. And also remember that that flag is already being trademarked by the state. It doesn't really belong to you. So every time you don it, it and it belongs, it's copyrighted. Yeah, yeah. it's not yours. <laughs> so so I and 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 then I thought you know and there, there's a lot of those people that I had hoped that I had some hope in are Catholics but and American Catholics as well the very vocal important and strong group and and then my experience in the Vatican and everything I saw just was so dismaying that I just wrote this fascinating yeah so how about um you you mentioned the state you know one of these I think insights I find provocative you know I buy it but you, you'll say uh, in, in the preface, you're saying th there's considerations that connect the discussion to current events that you're going to write about. Nationalism, the state, and the church have all become completely obsolete in the hypermodern era of the techno structure. They are husks. But while the structure has been gestating into full form, the collective mind of humanity, however, has not been. You know, and I won't continue. Uh, you're, so that's a bold statement. All these entities that we're taking for granted, you're saying are just husks, right? And then you go into you know, um, cultural lag, the notion that, you know, technology moves faster than anything else. And we're, we're using old wineskins to try and understand so much of what's going on. And we're just failing to do it. Can you kind of say more about that? I don't know. It's, it's, it's a very broad uh, problem. I don't, husks. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, they say that uh, it's, it's very insidious because they say, well, you know, nations no, do not exist. We live in a global era, but that's, it's not the case. Um, what happens is that after 1945, the victors, it's pretty much the Anglo-American Commonwealth. It's the only, it's the only cultural self-standing, self-contained entity existing. And, and the rest is, as um, 
has been said, all the other countries, they, who was it? It's what Margaret Thatcher said it, but somebody said it before or long before, more important than, I forget their name, should know. Everything else is geographical expression. Hmm. And, and, and it's true. I mean, and uh, for instance, I don't know, I don't want to go on a tangent here, but uh, my, my family was telling me that here in, in a bar in Rome, they were just eating their very Italian uh, thingies with, with, uh, with a drink. And at the radio, they heard the Minion song. Uh, the, the song from the Minions, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's like, man, there's no escape. I mean, we were in LA, but I mean, not that I have anything against the Minions, but, you know, it's like, there's no escape. <coughs> you will, yep. it, there's only one cultural industry and you're going to, you're going to get it everywhere you go. So, and coming to Catholicism and, and, and bring me back on track, Mike, I don't know if I'm sure. addressing your question. I, I'm, I'm feeling that I'm no, not. I think about. these tangents, no, I think these tangents are what it's all about, right? Because we're going to be continuing to talk to you over the months no, 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 and but, years. But I have to be on target because you asked yeah. a specific thing. Uh, husks and Catholicism, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a husk. And yeah, okay. I just, every time, I, and we talked about this before, every time you talk to uh, American Catholics, and generally I've only... I only found myself with the conservative ones. Uh, mm -hmm. I haven't, I haven't had a chance of meeting. I, I did, but most of the time I was, I was in a discussion that I was with the the, the right wingers. And um, and yeah, they they we addressed this last time. They they talk about stuff that is uh, irrelevant, or it's mostly about liturgy. Now, when people say, "Oh, there, there," by say liturgy, you're an ignorant because you don't understand how important liturgy is. The Latin, the versus the, the vernacular. No, I understand. Apparently the, 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 the Latin has been, has been studied in such a way, and this is true of all the benedictions, the holy water, that there is a particular, the words are very important because there are wavelengths in them that uh, uh, make the water virtuous. Now, if you've heard this, right? And so it makes a big difference whether you're doing a benediction in Latin and one in, say, conventional Italian. If you speak to the water in Italian, uh, it, well, with the, Literal translation, you're not doing anything to the water. You're not sending the right waves to it that make it curative. But if it's in Latin, it's studied to do just that. So when they talk about liturgy, it seems, it seems uh, futile, but it isn't. Even so. To me, I mean, I'm not aware that when they talk about liturgy, they really think of electromagnetic waves. But um, yeah, I, I'm, just, yeah. I'm just wondering, what the hell? You're not talking about the main problems. In the end, why? It's because uh, because they've all, everybody's been homogenized, and they're going back to the uh, that simile we were doing about speaking of people living in ant uh, ant mounds or intermitaries. Uh, it's like they everybody knows that he or she lives in the beehive, and there is no way out of it. And uh, and all this all this talk about freedom and and. And Thomas and freedom, it's completely irrelevant. Freedom means you're free to whatever you're allowed to do according to dictates of this beehive in which you're. And in the end, everybody's talking that language. And so you would expect from the Catholics, you expect that they would speak a kind of a more, you know, just liberation from the beehive. But there's no such thing. And, uh, and yeah, and so people say, well, yeah, yeah, big deal. And you haven't said anything, you know, the church is part of the castle. And it's there to, to, to support the rich and pacify the poor. And what else could you possibly expect? And, but but it's, that too would be, re, would be too reductive because inside the church, there's all sorts of movements. But then this is something that you might, may know a lot better than I do. 
they've organized, the hierarchy has organized and juggled these movements in such a way that they don't cause any kind of ruckus inside the And so my point was, well, then if you don't cause any ruckus, uh, you're completely useless. Now more than ever, and in fact they are, because now, uh, and it's been, now the, the papacy represents nothing, and it's been like this, they were, and as I, as I wrote, they've been making fun of the Pope being the, you know, taxi, and this embalmed nothingness uh, since the time of Montesquieu, so we're talking the 1700s. So it's been in a, a long way come in, in the making, and so we're just seeing it now. And so it makes perfect sense that the rulers of the world would just, uh, not destroy it because it would have been stupid. They've been they're super good at this. They bought it. Uh, it was like buying a soccer team, and uh, it was great. They got a million, a billion fans. Souls, and, yeah, uh, souls. Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah. You're buying you buying a, so- a soccer team that has a fan base worth of a billion souls. And so, I mean, in this, the Anglo Americans, the, the elite, the Anglo American elite was was very savvy. And so now the church, for some time, even before France, it just exudes and beams, uh, you know, establishment discourse. And it does. So yeah. I, my question is more, it's not that I'm uh, lecturing or saying something deep. It's more like I'm addressing Catholics and I'm, and I'm asking them, what's the point, right? Yeah. What's is it alive? Point? Yeah. It's, you know, I, I think we talked about this before. It's, it's, the, it's a zombie. Yeah, just like yeah. just like the, all the other structures, they're all they're all there. They they're moving, but they're zombies. They're not yeah. really alive anymore. No. And it's interesting you mentioned liturgy, um, and, and the Latin of the liturgy. I mean, it's so if you go back, and I was talking with students last week about this teaching a course on rhetoric, and we're talking, and, and part of the course on rhetoric is propaganda. And if you go back to the Middle Ages, and there might have been you know debates amongst theologians and clergymen, but the the peasantry didn't know about it. They were just going about their lives and celebrating liturgy. And in fact, all, even through Europe, there were so many different liturgies. Even in, in the continent of England, there were five different liturgies that were, or five different rites, I should say, that were, were, were observed in the Middle Ages. And then the church tightened up. But what happened with the, the advent of the printing press, we know what happened with Luther, right? Then you, you have the, able, the ability to disseminate information in a, in a relatively rapid form. And then with mass communication, with, you know, printing presses proliferating, and then gets into the age of, of, of radio, and it gets into the age of television, and gets, gets into the age of the internet. It, it speeds up this. And if you notice, um, everybody's, a, everybody's an, a Vatican expert now, right? <laughs> everybody's a theologian. Every, everybody went to church for, three, you know, they, they got interested. They read, they read two of, of the questions of the Summa, and all of a sudden they're, they're professional armchair theologians with their own website and everything. But, it's, but, but that kind of disseminates what Guido's talking about. It keeps the facade going. And then it's not just in the church. I mean, church is a good example for it, but it, it keeps that uh, appearance of power going. But what's really behind it, though? And that's what I, when, when I read your book, that's what I was, I was kind of blown away. And I think Francis is a great example of that. Um, and, fought, you know, we have two popes right now. You, you probably saw the photographs of the two popes getting together last week. You know, it's like, <laughs> and what? And what? Both in wheelchairs. <laughs> I mean, that's. It's I don't think we'll share it today, image. but 
Guido has the funniest anecdote about an audience he had with Pope Benedict. I don't know if it's really uh, fit for uh, this podcast, but uh, maybe Guido has firsthand experience. Maybe another time. Yeah. <laughs> Say more, Michael. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, I think it's just like, it's uh, iconographic of this zombie image we're talking about of the husk, right? And there's these cardinals around and is it, it's relevant to whom? To right. whom? What's what's the deal here? I mean, is it just a kind of a visual rhetoric or a well, visual problem? Yeah. You know what I mean? No, it's and it's insidious. And and, and you raise an interesting point. And um, one of the tactics of, of empire, which we've noticed, is to make it themselves appear weak when they're anything but. Mm-hmm. Not only that, they're anything but actually where they're actually full of vitality. And one way that, of doing this is to put all these geezers in front row. So the two popes in a wheelchair is like I'd never thought of that. Go on, yeah, yeah, yeah. But think, well, think. but like so, but they do it. What I'm saying right now, so a, a snapshot for me, and I think you're going to undermine it, is the the American British Empire. They put geezers up in front, but it's very vital. But is the Catholic Church still vital? Good question. But think okay. of the United think yeah. of the United States. They made it a battle against sleepy Joe Biden and Trump. I mean, uh-huh. think of all the. They could have put, you know, how many youthful, young senators, attractive, sexy types could have cast in that role? I don't know, a million and a half. Mm -hmm. And they chose the most improbable. And again, you know, same message. Look, and and, and they feeding some of this rhetoric, even here in the Vatican. Oh, end of empire, you know, uh, Eliogabalus or whatever. These like, you know, degenerate, debauched emperors. End of empire. You have all these geezers, decrepit, nonsense, nonsense. The church, who knows? Yeah, you mentioned there's all these cardinals there. Yeah, there's a whole elite there of really, really savvy and... You've been there, you know, right? Yeah, extremely, extremely, uh, you know, these, we've all met them, you know, these people that lurk in those corridors that speak 24 languages, that know everything, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so, yeah. yeah the deep all, Vatican, right? The deep Vatican, yeah, like yeah, the deep yeah. state, right? Yeah. yeah. The actual Vatican, which yeah. we don't know. The rest is just cutouts. Yeah. So your book goes on to tell, and again, Empire and Church, and it's going to be published, and we'll... Uh, um, even now, do you want to say like where and when people could look for it? You know, that's our theme today. Yeah, yeah. God willing, uh, in, uh, in late autumn or in the winter, uh, it should be on Amazon. Should great, it's, great. It's under my, my own label and you know, God willing, it will be there. I really want it to be there. It's taking this move is anyway. It yeah, be. you're in the middle of a move, you know, so we're, we're teasing this. Yeah. And I know, again, based on previous podcasts that people are interested in this stuff. No, um, no, I, I really want to get it up. Yeah. So the... Uh, um, you know, this notion, again, we talk about church, you know, nation, these husks and so forth. We know something that's in ascendance is we would say science or scientism and so forth. But your book makes even interesting distinctions there. You're, I'm going to quote you as saying, uh, from the vantage point of the Anglo-American duopoly, there is no genuine nation on the planet culturally worthy of the name, but its own conjoined. And we're talking about the Anglo-American, yeah, the duopoly and no true religion other than the devotional religion of man which in itself professes with its hyper-articulate gospel of multicultural respect for diversity and its formidable cult of science, which you put in quotation marks, which again is not a science at all, but a cult of technology subservient to the perpetuation of the commonwealth's parasitical elites and satraps. Uh, everything else in its scope is barbarous superstition and therefore must be systematically eradicated. So you're not saying it's like... Uh, 
science or not science, you know, tell us, tell us how you're using science in this paragraph and throughout the book. Yeah, it, it relates to what the stories that are telling about my own father and so on. And yeah, uh, yeah I mean, there have been cases where, and you hear from this from professionals and stories that I've heard from, again, from my dad, but, every, you know, you hear these things that it's even in those fields, you know, uh, you think science, okay, uh, somebody is doing something new. And I don't want to repeat myself if I've ever said this again, but yeah. I was mentioning, we mentioned the case of cold fusion. We mentioned it, and we've all heard about these stories that there have been um, people that had devised ways of curing cancer and, and, and everybody says, oh, those are urban legends and so on. But the most recent cases of cold fusion and the memory of water uh, are two standard cases in history where top level scientists, this guy, Bienveniste in France and the discoverers of cold fusion or room temperature fusion. And one of them, Fleischmann, was a member of the Royal Academy. So yeah, yeah this um, discovered something. And at that point, the, uh, the, the, the response of the system was um, merciless. And so that tells you, and this is just, that tells you that they're not for science. Because even if somebody says, it's this high level, high level person tells you, I've seen something different. Mm -hmm. Your your duty and the imperative of the system is to see, let's give these people as many means as possible because they have observed something that wasn't there before. This is science. They didn't do that. They, they destroyed them. Yep. So, yeah. So, and there are many cases and there's a whole literature out there, uh, with, which I'm only very, very poorly. I mean, I'm just, just very superficially familiar, familiar with, uh, it's very important about that world but it's like this in everywhere so in the end you draw the conclusion that when they say oh okay you're uh, and we've heard about covid a lot i follow science the science here science there you know? i was going to say the same thing right mm -hmm. but you're saying yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's really just it's, another tool in the uh, in the techno structure right yeah it's another way of discursive way of bullying through discourse and so so you do if you if you doubt this is well you're anti-science. If you're anti-science, you mean that you believe the earth is is flat, that you beat your wife and kids, and that you're just a monster, and so on and so forth. Um, so in the end, it's obvious that science knowledge they're not interested in in, in knowledge, and they sac they they they're ready to sacrifice their most talented people if need be. Because, and that also tells you that no one in this system is irreplaceable, mm -hmm. especially because it's not interested in science, in knowledge per se. It's interested in those routines that reinforce that transfer of resources. So again, we said last time, those three monopolies, mm -hmm. energy, health, and money, and health is drugs. It's probably the that's the thing I want to add. This is a system that doesn't work without drugs. Drug is not just like a weird thing, you know, a couple of people um, pushing dope. Nonsense. It's a system. And in Italy, we know it very well because Italy is a narco state. And, uh, and that's something that's mm. been created with the mafia under the aegis of the United States in 1943 when they liberated, in quotes, Sicily with the help of the mafia, which they revamped and which had lain dormant Trent and all the recent history of Italy is punctuated by these mafia wars, which were about the transit of drugs from the rest of the world through Europe up to America. And it was then Sicily was one of the um, key points of that. And um, this is why the entire country is flooded with recycled money from the Calabrian mafias and so on and so forth. Everywhere you go, every this uh, 
the the lore is that every bar is 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 is, is laundering money for things. So going back to what I was saying, mm-hmm. the three the three um, the three bastions monopolies of the parasitical caste are these. You know, so anytime you see someone who does something which can really alter and uh, um, change these precise equilibrium mechanism they've set up, they liquidate him immediately. Yep. Crazy, crazy. And so, you know, you brought up the um, the notion that's going to be a forefront in this book too, which ties into the stuff you're saying, but, you know, um, unpack for people your your two notions of the techno-structure and techno-fascism. You know, I still can't believe, um, specifically regarding like techno-fascism again, that we have um, these diversionary games going on between, you know, the mainstream left and mass media and this uh, this phenomenon called Donald Trump. You know, and uh, the the way they've been able to pin uh, the word fascist on Trump, so we can't look for it descending in another way, is something that just gets me so mad. You know, could Trump have some fascist tendencies if he was elected? I suppose so, but I, I still think you know I don't even know if that was all deliberate. But what a lucky thing that it just works so well that everybody is associating the word fascist with the uh, the orange gorilla, as they say, right? And missing that this thing is descending on us in real time. Um, yeah. You know, just this uh, Trump was just served up to this thing so well. Talk more about techno structure, why you've settled on that term, what you think it denotes, and uh, what your book is saying. You know, and I'll point people towards the end. A provocative conclusion is that at a certain point, the church knows that it's been bested in this game. It was kind of a last bastion of something. And, you know, we're, we're going to get there even if we have another interview. But it's almost like you can conjecture at some point, maybe in recent memory the church kind of sold itself off almost like signed a piece of paper that they were willing to be the Catholic charities wing of the Anglo-American empire. Is that an okay summary of your conclusion? Yeah, no, no, yeah. it certainly, it certainly is. And I want to tell people where some of these side traps are going to say like, this is where we're dealing with, but the techno structure you're saying <laughs> became totally dominant. And in kind of recent times, you know, the church has been reduced to maybe now nothing, but only a servant of that. But this techno structure, you know, uh, wax eloquently on those two things, fascism, yeah. and help us with this fascism piece. What is a sure. definition of it? Go ahead. I'd like to preface this by, by yeah. saying that most, for me, I mean, it's like, we don't really know the story of any of these things, the history of the Vatican. I mean, it's like, it's it, it's just a bunch of guesses. that they, they, don't, they don't let you know, they're not letting you understand anything. So, yeah, uh, long, complex question, um, fascism. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's the same thing in Italy. Fascism was as uh, as one of these words, as we're saying, like you know, the flag's been appropriated by the system, by you know, the elite. In Italy, the word fascist very, you know, as I say it has that, you know, there, there's already, you know, there's there's already a vehement attack in uttering it. Um, what is it? A labial F, whatever. Uh-huh. And uh, fascist, you know, and it's 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 a great word, and it's completely owned by the left. The, the you know, in 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 Italy especially, so. We've had fascism, the communists defeated fascism, and ever since, and then we had the biggest communist party of the world, I mean, of Europe, and so, and so they really, they, they banked on this work, and, and everybody, and it's just, in the States now, it's, it's now, it's kind of the same with Trump, and everybody just like, they take the high moral ground. And um, and in the name of being an Italian, the bleeding hearts, we call them the beautiful souls. And, <laughs> I liked it a lot. Yeah, the beautiful souls. They're better than you because they care about the world. They've got big hearts. And, People and you, on the right side of history. Yeah. On the right oh, yeah. side of, 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 of God. I mean, yeah. and so, and you, <laughs> if you disagree with them, you are a 
fascist. And then right. they go like this. And at that point, you know, most of the time, if you disagreed with them, especially if you're voting on the right, you know, every time that you were like dis- disarmed. And then it would just say, then you would just like throw an insult at them, but it was over at that point. You lost the battle. Yeah. yeah and yeah. so, and, and they're doing the same with Trump. I still can't believe that Trump is, is, is still in the news. I mean, you'll have to explain this, how this works. And it's a show, but it's, it's weird why they, how they keep it going. But I suppose they, they need him, right? Oh, they yeah. Need an, the left they need needs a counter, him for sure. They need a counter altar. And he's, I don't know, he's okay. I guess they couldn't have had a, a, a KKK guy to do that. It would have been too... I don't know. Too obvious. Let me ask you (laughs) one question, a little side thing about that. There's a a guy we'd like to have on the show sometime. His name is John Michael Greer. He blogs at a site called Ecosophia. And he has a book called The Man in Orange. But he has a fascinating history, Guido. You lived in America. And and it's about the Trump phenomenon. And he'll say that Trump might be – he'll say that every Native American tribe – he's looking at the Salish, you know, in the Pacific Northwest in particular. Uh But if you go across our whole beautiful continent, you see that most Native American tribes have a story of a change figure. And what we know about the change figure is quite often he'll come upstream, you know, and the stories would be the you know, the beaver tried to stop him with a paddle. They couldn't stop him, and that became his tail. The deer tried to stop him with these kind of horns. The deer couldn't stop and became his antlers. And what Greer wants to say is that like all we know about this archetypal entity from the land. And again, I think Trump is a true American, right? He's more Barnum Bailey uh, than Adolf Hitler. But the, the claim would be that when he'll come up stream and everything has changed when it's done. It doesn't mean he's a good guy. In these Native American stories, he's quite often a buffoon. And so far, that kind of archetypal tale holds some weight for me, I'll be honest. Because like we, especially in America, we can watch all these moments, seminal moments where they say the walls are closing in. You know, we've got them. We've got them. And now we're in the midst of two more, you know, Mar-a-Lago raid and January 6th. And the guy's Teflon or something. But I find, I don't know if this, this insight has a future, like it, whether it's going to be true, but it certainly has some explanatory power for me. Or do you think uh, he's just a useful idiot, totally in the pawn of the uh, techno-fascism? I, I think, think so. I, yeah. I think yeah. he's a buffoon. He's, he's a buffoon, yeah. yeah. But he, could he also just be kind I, of an embodiment of an I, archetype? I, I think what he was needed yeah. for was to flush out resistance, what what they the system needed to see how big and how threatening yeah. a, the opposition could be. And they realized that it's, it's <clears> a pack of... It's a pack of, I would want to use a, a vulgar word, but let's say uh, not very courageous types. And so okay. I, I guess with, with, with Trump, well, you could tell, you could tell, you know, when 9-11 happened, everybody, you know, so everybody was just like believed all that crap and there, you know, and, and all of a sudden country music became dominant after being completely like, you know, non-existent on the mainstream. And then Laura Bush says, we're going there to liberate the women. Nobody laughed, not the machos. Not the feminist. At that point, I says this is over. It's over. It's finished. And 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 then and then Obama came, and you'd expect the machos and you know uh, white man first type of guys just raising their voice, and they were even more muted, even more afraid. I mean, just a pack of wusses. And uh, and and then and then Trump came, and then the other wusses from the left were like you know starting with their with all their anti-fascist um i mean it's it's just uh it's it's a game everybody the only thing that you can see from this is the level of and they'll 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 start acting and puff their chest only when they get the signal from the 
from 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 TV that it's okay to do so. So go on there and 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 eat your macho alive. You can mm-hmm. go now. Go ahead. Call him a fascist, and all oh, they come fascist, fascist, and so on, so forth. But it's you know, every, no one moves until the TV and and the and, and the media tell tell him to move. And for the last twenty years, we've seen this. So I was you know, for me as an as an Italian who who knew and has lived in the states a lot, nine eleven for me was. It, 9/11 was 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 a divide, and it uh, it crushed inside every every idolization that I had of of the U.S. It was it was over then, and I tell this to a lot of people, and they, some of them look at me mystified. Well, I don't know. For me, it was that's when the turn of the screw came, and it was a major. Yeah, well, I, I, that's I mean, that's when they started. I think it's no accident that that was around coincided with about the beginning of the internet right and uh <clears throat> what happened with that i think remember uh, um when facebook and social media first came up and most politicians were not touching it they were they it was a thing for kids but then what in particular michael pardon me what in particular weren't they touching facebook yeah okay gotcha they were getting they weren't they were politicians were not interested in social media and things like that at, uh-huh. at the beginning so say 15 years ago but then I think it was Ron Paul who made the most of it and made a lot of inroads into it. And he's kind of a, you know, he's a outsider, definitely for sure. And he was getting a lot of attention. He And he was really, he I think he raised more money in one day than any politician in history. And then he went, wait a minute. And then I think that around that is when, when this, uh, a lot of government, CIA, FBI people started migrating from government gigs into Facebook and other social media platforms as first, I'm sure as consultants, and then eventually hired on full time. And, uh, but you, you saw that the establishment saw what a powerful tool this would be for mass formation, and they started to capitalize on it. And then you have, um, as we've seen a little bit with Obama, but even more with Trump, the, the, the rhetoric of otherness of the other of, of divisiveness and when i was teaching this course on uh rhetoric this morning i just showed them this three minute speech you've probably both seen it i'm sure uh of martin luther king's mountaintop speech which he, which he gave the night before he was he was killed you know which is so articulate and so i mean it's such a it's so bizarre to think that that uh american political discourse went from that and even if you look at the Kennedys back in the day, they were so articulate as well. And then you see what we have now as political discourse, uh, how crass and how divisive and how, I mean, look at the two guys, um, Biden and Trump, the two of the most inarticulate <laughs> people on earth. Though I have to give Trump credit for being a, you know, a more it's funny, exciting public speaker or, or successful or whatever it is, but, uh, but not articulate. Not, and not uh, they don't adopt that kind of language that earlier politicians used of unity, you know, even even if it was phony, but they didn't adopt it. And certainly King was was a master at rhetoric. But these guys know. And it's and, and, and I think this is part of the the con- contribution of the of the technocrats and of, of technology to increase that divisiveness. And as, as Guido said, the fear that's perpetuated through the, the, this technology in an order to, well, A, distract, B, divide, while, while the technocracy goes about its business behind the scenes. Yes, very, very good. Very, very important intuition. 
divide divide for sure, and they have done an amazing work. They have succeeded. Um, instill fear, of course, um, bureaucratically as as always, and infantilize. Yeah, infantilize. Going back to, right. to, Good one. To to, mm-hmm. to your the the, the inarticulateness inert, of of political speech, and I've seen this in, in my brief spell in the uh, school system. There is a keen, manifest, deliberate drive, infantil, the vast majority of the underprivileged, especially because they don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Where do you see it above and beyond saying that like the school system is a like a, a alma mater, like a mothering institution that has some like the medium is the message, you know, that you 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 suck that sacred teat until you're you know, you're free to go out after how many years and so forth. What else did you see that was specifically infantilizing? You know, so people can open their eyes to it. I agree with my, you. I spent last spring substituting in a school. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, my experience was uh, was was very sectorial. I mean, I was in a district that was uh, three quarters. It was just uh, it was non-white, mm-hmm. and uh, so I had the clear impression that the whites. Uh, it, you know, the U.S. is is has never been as as more segregated than now, right? Of mm-hmm. course. Then this language of respect and. Uh, and, and uh, it wouldn't be as marked because if there were respect and there were, if there were very little racism, you wouldn't need this, but precisely because it's stronger than ever. So high, very high segregation. And so this very clear sense that all this mass of kids with no, with no future, what they do, and in a sense, it's linked to the Trump phenomenon, is that with standardized tests, and standard, they recruit only the type that they like, those that have ability for the logical, mathematical way of thinking. And it doesn't even matter if those types, they're just good with crunching numbers. Yeah. Some, some of them, those, those particularly intelligent, understand what they do, but others um, don't this even. This is the techno structure, how it works. It recruits these people. Completely. They need them. Yeah. They're, they're not hyperbride, but they're very good with numbers. Some of them, mm-hmm. and some are even uh, both. But it's, um, and that's it. That's what standardized tests are about. So, yeah, that no, that's what they are for, and that's what they only care about. Mm-hmm. So they recruit two, you know, so quote unquote smart kids per class, and the rest of them, it's like you know, you drift away, go flip burgers and whatever, and they just tell them stories that they're great, that they respect, they're different sort of intelligences. You might not be a logical one, but you're an artistic one. And I love that. Yeah. Do you really No, They don't give a damn about the arts anyway, but it, it sounds good. And so, on. so yeah, the impression I had was that they recruit those two in the structures and the others, they corral and they infantilize uh, into a life of stupidity into soul deadening jobs. Mm-hmm. Well, I, and not only that, but they, they, they kind of track them into being brainless activists right so they they may know all the slogans to repeat and they and they go to college or wherever else and repeat them but they and i see this a lot lots of times with with college students but they really lack the, the ability to to think through anything the political correctness i saw that with my daughters is not so much used per se it's a you it's it's they're teaching kids to use language to not to i wouldn't want to say bully but i don't want to be too trivial into putting each one in its place. So whenever they see an opportunity to slap you in the face, you know, then they use, you know, it's like, oh, you just say something against that group, you know, or you're just wearing something that's culture appropriation. So it's like, not that they really give a damn if you just, you know, wore a, you know, a Mexican sombrero and they really, 
and they really are, you know, they care about what's the, the, the spirit of Mexico and not that the Mexican would give a damn where you, whether you wear a sombrero or not, they actually would like it, but that's not the point. But they see an opportunity to slap you in the face. Check your privilege. Yeah. Well, they, <laughs> of, of putting you, of putting you back into line, whatever you said, mm-hmm. uh, because you annoyed them for. So what they're teaching these kids is to use this type of language. It could be something completely different in twenty years, but they, uh, you know, they they use the, you know, the, it's it's violence in speech and yep. and regimentation in speech. And this but, is this. Is, but it's all this destabilizing the structures of power. <laughs> when, when it's actually when it's right. actually reifying right. the structures of power, right? Amongst kids, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, but the kids the kids don't care. I mean, they they, they are they're conformists. And yeah. then if and, and if first, and then if you and if they need to teach you a lesson, they use whatever lingo they taught them, and they do that. So it's it's a way for it's a way to keep up the aggressiveness and the bullying. <laughs> there's not a there's not a parent listening to this who can't hear what you're saying. How our kids are there just teaching us lessons that they spend a day in the public schools. You know, just yeah. constantly. You know, they're they're just so good at like putting our kids are trying to put us in our place all the time. Yeah, yeah. But I, I even noticed that when you know my daughter was coming home and say. You know, and you hear this. Oh, I, I can't believe you said that. And I said, I right, said, right, what? right. I, I, what did I say? And so they teach them this thing. So, they, um, so that the level of aggressiveness is very high, uh, also. And then they yeah. wonder why there is so much violence. You know, it's, it's. I like all the language. The level of aggressiveness. I mean, again, we got to get precise. And I see this interview. You know, kind of staying on this theme of the techno structure, which is part of the first part of your book. Then we'll put that in another interview because your book will come out a little bit later in the context of history. But staying with the techno structure and some of this stuff, I just think it's a goldmine. You know, um, you when I first read the essay at the end of the Sean Stone book, uh, I I copied the whole thing and then I singled out. I noticed, you know, sometimes we have to look at what our body's doing. But your section on Ernst Jünger and pain and how that relates to the techno structure. You know, can you kind of uh, riff on that for a while? Like we're putting together the pieces of trying to understand this nightmare we're living right now. So the importance of this guy, who is Ernst Jünger and, you know, his book on pain, which I have in my library. Why do you find that so seminal in understanding how the system works? Oh, that, that essay is pure genius. And he is uh, pure genius. Is, right. Yeah. The, the guy was <laughs> had he been had he not been a Nazi, which he was, and all yeah. the leftists would go, how could you possibly? Oh no! Oh, no. <laughs> oh, he, oh, he was, but I mean, he was. That's. Yeah. But uh, I have never read anything so stylistically. Stylistically, he's perfect. Mm-hmm. And uh, not that I read German at those levels. I can't. I always need a tradition. But I have. I have. Um, but even tra- it's perfect, and he's just an amazing. Man. And uh, this, I, I, I like reading fascists because they are. Um, because they are uneasy in the beehive mm-hmm. uh, for their own reasons that are not mine. I couldn't care less about the ethos of the warrior or the samurai cutting heads and all the stuff they like and the emperors and all that stuff, you know, stuff uh, that they, it really breaks my balls and pardon my French. I mean, <laughs> whatever. I yeah. mean, but, but the fact that they are so uncomfortable in the techno structure makes them say a lot of interesting things because huh. they are uncomfortable and they critique. And if they're smart, they say interesting things. This is why there is merit in reading them. Um, unlike the Marxists who are just, you know, trash. And so, um, <laughs> yeah. 
And mm-hmm. so I, again, I mean, we're anarchists, so we can say whatever we want. You know, we, yeah, we right. hate the ones and we hate the others. So for me, but I mean, I'm just saying, I hate you all, but I love reading them. You know, the fascist. Yeah. Oh right. yes, because they're super talented. And they say a lot of interesting things. They're crazy, and I don't want to be with them. But what they what they write is very perceptive. So on pain, it's an amazing essay, and it's 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 about. Uh, him uh, explaining the the modern the, the ethos of of the modern way of living, which is, uh, I guess, his message is like you have got to, you know, in the past as the fascist, in the past that we had this way of communing with pain. Pain is a, is the way of life, and we laugh at those crazies that self-flagellated and so on, or all those crazy mystics and Christians, and not just Christians who just tormented their skin and their bodies and mortified themselves. And we think it's crazy in the end, Junger says, or the knights or, or this, this tremendous amount of pain on the flesh and not just that. And, and Junger says, you know, it's, it's, it's the way. And uh, the self-flagellation is an habituation. It's a discipline in habituating ourselves to the pain. The, 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 the rhythm of pain belongs to life. Um, that's what typically conservative thinkers would say. And, you know, it's just like, I, okay, and I'm listening. And today he says, we're afraid of that. And so we're trying to run away from it uh, by trying to circumscribe it, anesthetize it, um, package it, and remove pain and the fear of death as far as we can from ourselves to make us gain some kind of um, solace and 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 heave a sight of relief in this brief life of us of ours until then it explodes in your face and uh, and 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 we see it uh, it kind of you bottle it up until it is pent up strength of pain explodes in a variety of ways which make up the madness and the incomprehensible pace of modern life and so I guess this is this is his main message and um, so I was able to. Um, relate this to all this idea that the modern system of which now the left is the you know, fighting paladin for that wants to bottle us up into this mechanized beehive where they take care of us. They say, well, you will not feel any pain, that you will not think of death, where some of you will work and the other will euthanize and where most of you don't, will not think at all. And uh, we'll, we're virtual reality will generally be substituted for everything else. And that's where we're going. And so all these old fascists of the old guard who are just still dreaming of running, riding horses with big swords, they say, well, hell no, I don't want this and so on. So that's where that whole tradition is coming from. And there's, there are a lot of these guys from that world cited in the first essay, Junger, Ganon, mm-hmm. Evola, and all those old school fascists. But then I go into a definition of fascism because I'm really mad that they took, that they appropriated this word. And I want to fling the word fascist at everybody, Good. At everybody else. Yeah. And so I say, what is a fascist? A fascist is someone who um, is, is, is really lives in a, in a bastion, is generally a stupefied, quote, patriot. And a patriot is somebody who thinks that his beehive is the best in the world and idolizes its leaders, be it a king, an anointed king or an oligarchy that they love. And, uh, and yeah, basically, and, and this, this is the, a fascist is this termite that lives in this system, very compact with its clear role and cannot live outside it and is, lives in a state of stupor, which makes him glorify the leading 
psychic guiding force of the Beehive itself, what the entom- French entomology call the psychism of mm. the place where you live. It's a way of saying, I don't know where the hierarchy comes from, but there is an a magne- electromagnetic field that keeps it all going and so on. So, and then I conclude, you know, just to, just to punch in the face all those people that annoy me that I say, <laughs> the only ones that are not fascist is us anarchists because we don't want anybody you know, imposing things on us. We don't want to be ruled by anybody, nor do we want to rule anybody. We don't give a damn about flags. We don't, we don't cry when a flag goes up the pole, you know, whatever. I mean, we respect national, national accents, but we have other aspirations and we believe in, you know, cooperation and we don't, and we reject any form of violence. So screw you all because the rest of you believe in violence in one form or another. Amen. The fascist, yeah. The fascist goes without saying. They 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 glorify violence. They always mm-hmm. have. And then, but the most the more controversial controversial. The other two generally not associated with this are the leftists. But the leftists are to me more enamored in power than the fascists themselves. And they are have they are people that can never have never and can never exist outside the system. In Europe, they were party members. In the states, they're government members. They don't—they—they're not part of any kind of grassroots, uh, uh, self-rebellious organization of any kind. And and then I address the Catholics, and the Catholics, the vast majority of them are fascists too, because they, most of them, they just—they—they they, they get weepy and and they cry whenever they see the Pope. And and what they really love, I mean, they're not interested in the whole story of Christ and and and. They say they are, but most of the time, what really makes them, what makes them throb is the idea of being part of a superpower, which the church, in a way, was. It's mm-hmm. a structure. The Vatican yeah. was a structure. And Proudhon, again, has written some amazing pages about the structure of the church in that famous book about revolution in the, in the, in the church. So, yeah. So, so most people are fascists. So they, they act and pretend and give themselves airs that they're really evolved souls and that they care, but they don't give a damn about everything. They're power people. Uh, everything that's power related makes them lust. Uh, it makes them, you know, it, it make, not make, make, makes them, you know, they lust after those things. And so, so yeah. And, 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 and the only language that they really speak is the language of violence. Every time you talk to one of these guys, nine, 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 nine people out of 10, they always end up saying, well, yeah, but, you know, human nature being what it is, and this will never happen because this is that, this is that. In the end, they're just... You know, they're Hobbesians, yeah. No, they're just, just telling <clears throat> you the only way is the way of violence. It's right. hierarchy, the principle of authority, and that's the end of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and seldom they put it so bluntly because it sounds, it's ugly, but that's what exactly what they believe. Mm-hmm. It's, and, it's, it's Freud in civilization and its discontents, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It just yeah. use the structure to keep them in check. And but at the end of the this. day, at the end of the day, you find yourself alone. This, yeah, exactly. this is why. Yeah, is, for sure. We're at the Ehrenikers table here. So here's my question, Guido, because one, one of the points you make in the book is the connection of the American neocon the American Catholic neocons and putting pressure on the, you know, and bringing the Pope into the fold, right? So I think that was, did that begin with John Paul? And yeah, so so how does that work? I mean, how does that work with those those American Catholic neocons in this, in this, uh, techno-fascist structure because i think it's one of the more interesting points in the book yeah i I got all the story with long talks i had with uh a friend friend friends of mine friend of mine who inside father jeff langan yeah jeff uh jeff helped me a lot with this and he uh very ex is a great expert on those things and um 
the neocons now they're not you don't hear about them anymore they're they're out of fashion they were huge they're in the white house now yeah they were huge uh would not after 9 11 as yeah those of us who can remember those days now the the power of the power of the um of the leftist is is ten times a hundred thousand times. Those are the neocons. So haven't they morphed into the neocons though? That's a, that's a, I'm, I, the neocons morphed yeah, into the could, left. You could see they've recycled themselves there, but yeah. And so now I just noticed that the rhetoric was identical to that of uh, the the Action Francaise, the, the Moras, the Morassians. Mm-hmm. It was the exact same thing. And using Catholicism as a as a tool of government. Michael so Novak in particular, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, many, yeah, many. Yeah. It, it's good to have Catholics because, you know, they, they create good martyrs, good soldiers, and uh, just good cannon fodder, you know, fanaticized and uh, uh, devout and patriotic at the same time, and exactly the kind of zombie that the system needs. And so, and that's, that thing, the responsibility of the church has been tremendous and awful. And, um, and so, yeah, so I, uh, yeah. Well, I know I was, uh, if I could copyright you, Guido, like, again, if like, if I was a record mogul, you, you on the, uh, you on the fascist and your definition of fascist, uh, again, we got to start breaking some of these down to write 10 minute clips, Michael, but uh, you know, those are insights that just fly, fly. I mean, your, your future is bright because nobody's talking like that with so much clarity, you know? So another, another piece of this, unless Michael, you want to stay on the neocons a little bit more. No, I'm just saying, I mean, I would say like they more, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, we, that we'd probably have to give a little, we have to have a, a, a three minute period of silence here on the podcast. So the, so the people who were all into that thing could, could digest that for a minute, but no, I think it's important. Really it's important. That's why I wanted to ask, because I think it's an important issue. And I think as, as Mike was saying, you can see a lot of resonances yeah. with what those neocons were doing back then with the rhetoric you hear coming out of the white house and the, and the American left now which it sounds so, so similar, I mean, even starting with Obama, who was, was sold as this uh, kind of uh, almost moderate liberal savior. Who moral becomes, crusades. They have all who, got who became moral crusades. Who, you know, right away became just a neocon, you know, with, with, with a different party affiliation. I don't know. I, I think, I don't know. I, I, we, see, we see things in this way. I, I don't think most people do. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. But I remember, yeah, we all remember when Obama got elected, it was like, you know, uh, kind of the Messiah was arriving and the mm-hmm. fact that he was just, you know, and, and we complain about racism, but the, just the fact that he was non-white. And so people said, we're going to have a new a new kingdom. And I don't know, it's just... It Michael and I were reflecting this week, and I think you'd have an insight. We were both sharing the anecdote that we had seen independently, probably on Twitter, mm-hmm. where... Uh, Vladimir Putin's giving a speech. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in America, you have these free elections, you have elections. Then the next day, guys with these briefcases show up, you know, and, uh, you know, in all likelihood, they're, they're you know, secret police slash intelligence agencies. And then they they get told their marching orders. Do you think that has some weight? You know, I was also, you're a great historian. I was, I was reading somebody who I find intriguing online and they don't think, you know, you have Machiavelli who looked at political theory through his lenses and others, but that we've had the great genius of the role of police states in modern nations. But, um, you know, what do you think, you know, if Michael and I are trying to tie kind of left and right, Joe Biden, Obama, into kind of the neocon operation, that image that Putin portrays, whether he's right or wrong, kind of plays into, you know, how we might see it. Not that Mike and I march in lockstep on everything, but we both thought that was somewhat illustrative. I, I think the main problem is that, I don't know. I guess I 
most people and they're taught and they play on this a lot uh, are taught to see things as good versus evil, right mm -hmm. like in a in a good stephen king book and um and so that and accordingly they have to build heroes and monsters and and this this bipolar infantile structure is is key to their psyche which is so oftentimes you meet most people could be very intelligent people, but they're psychically speaking, they're like children, um, which is oftentimes I, I, I just I hear a patriot talking and I remember and, and I get it. And I remember that I used to think in those terms when I was like five. And <laughs> I didn't know what was, age was going to come out. <laughs> yeah, five. I, 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 it was it was a time where my parents, you know, it was Cold War. My parents were Italians inducted in the American system. And, and as I said the story before, we voted on the right. They voted on the right. My parents and the pro-Israel, pro-US, anti-communist. And so and so I, I, I as a little kid, I was just really on to that. Yeah, I was super gung-ho, pro little Italian Americanist. And every time I was hearing, you know, some of these annoying uh, relatives who voted on the left say nasty things about the U.S. I would be really mad, and uh, and that's exactly you know. But I was five, okay. And but now you talk to grown ass people who who were just like that. So going back to um, heroes and heroes uh, and, and 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 monsters or Christ and Antichrist, the legions of light and the devils, and um, and that's where the problem is. And I remember I had an acquaintance of mine which just told me that this person at night loved just to put on Netflix to go there and see the good guys kick some ass. And uh, just because this just gave this person immense pleasure. Yeah. And, and, and that's where the problem is. Uh, and I also noticed that here in Italy, I, I, I sometimes talk to some people and, you know, there's some heroic figures. And, and I go there and I, I, I poke and I said, you know, not to, not to say, and some of these have been martyrs and killed and so on, especially I'm talking about mafia judge. And, and I, I go and sometimes I go where I should not go in those areas where you start to question some of these icons. So mafia things. judges, people who are actually trying to clean up the cartels yes, and everything. Yes, yeah, okay, but my, yep. my point is that at those level, at those levels, I'm not saying you're corrupt, but at those levels, you're playing the game. You're, you're a person of power. It, it cannot be otherwise. You're, a crusader doesn't last a day in that. And so, and so they've been killed. And I asked, what, what factions did they belong to and why were they killed exactly? Mm. And nobody really knows. In Italy, you'll find a thousand books. It's one of our big items on our bookshelves. But I noticed that the people started looking at me with this kind of lost look and uncomfortable. And you're not supposed to touch these things. And people, all people, they, they think they're good. And as I wrote in my definition of a fascist, your average person is potentially a monsters of the worst kind. And when I mean the average person, I mean you, me, and all of us. So when I turn on the TV, I'm not there to see, I'm not there to root for the good guys to kick ass. I just, it's the last thing I want to see. I want to understand why there is, why there is violence and, and why there is so much rottenness inside each of us, potentially. That should mm -hmm. be the question. And, and that's why. And so we are dealing with, you know, people that think like angry children, most of them, even the, the, the most intelligent and you know, the, the elders in the system, and um, makes it impossible, makes it impossible to go very far because, um, because everybody thinks, well, I'm, I, I'm with the good guys. I'm right. one of the good ones. And instead, this is not how you should start. You should say, 
I am potentially the worst. And what can I do to avoid the worst from coming to the surface? So it's not at all a Netflix kind of position. It's more like... <laughs> not at all it, is an understatement. Yeah, I mean, not, I don't have anything against Netflix, but it's just this view of like, you know, I just I just want to side with the good guy. It's, I find yeah. it... Oh. I don't know if I, if I express myself no, I'm eloquent, getting it. I'm eloquently getting it. enough. I think that this position is a disaster. It's well, a disaster. It's, it's a it's a vicarious projection of sure. your own inability to do anything. Or not even say inability, uh, unwillingness to do anything. So you kind of outsource your <laughs> your responsibility but to, the, this, this to that imaginative with, realm. But I, 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 I made a lot of people uncomfortable, even with JFK in my circles of you know, anti-system friends. And I said, JFK, I mean, who the hell was he? How did he get the presidency? There was, you know, it, it, there was nothing about him. He was a mediocre. Uh, the only reason why he rose to, uh, to power was because of his father, basically. Right. And, and we turned this guy into a myth. I want to understand more and and some of them had already built you know their their world with with the heroes and the monsters and and they wouldn't they wouldn't talk they they just said you know enough enough you know i'm not gonna go there and so same thing i why do we need heroes heroes do they exist maybe maybe they're faceless why is it so important that you have a bunch of a pantheon full of heroes and that you put yourself along with them. It doesn't help me at all in understanding anything. As a matter of fact, I need fascinating. The, yeah. I need the opposite stimulus to try to understand anything, nor do I have such a great high idea of myself either in that sense. Maybe this is, I don't know if it's the Catholicism that does this, but you know, I'm, I'm very wary of, you know, of what I am it's good as if I don't know. Most of because as modern people, we're so fragmented anyway, it's really hard to pinpoint what we are. And, uh, and, uh, and all this, I think, and all that, that literature about us wearing masks and us being just a collection of masks. And then at the end of the day, there's nothing behind. There's a lots of masks, but in the end, there's nothing behind the mask. Uh, it might be a cliche, but I don't know, something to it as well. I think that. So how about we, we, uh, you know, I definitely see this as at least a two-parter. And if, if we look at today, is putting together some of the bricks in this edifice called the technostructure, you know, and we weave in with a little more historical detail next time, how a game was played between, certainly after World War II, between the Vatican and, say, Anglo-American Empire. Uh, there, there's a, I'll, I'll read a paragraph from your preface, but I want to alert readers too. It's a way of promoting your work as this book will come out, that Guido's mentioned his book, Conjuring Hitler. And you can find that online. Go look it up. You need to read it. And then another one that I just think is so essential to understand anything. It's completely crucial. And it's um, the ideology of tyranny, the use of neo-Gnostic myth. I'm not looking at it now, but uh, that's uh, find that one too. The um, the ideology of tyranny. If you want to understand kind of some of these issues that we now call wokeness, the uses of political correctness, that is the go-to book uh, bar none. So here's a Here's a little short paragraph because you're talking about uh, the goal of the techno structure too. In this case, vis-a-vis uh, the family structure, you know, and, and sane people can disagree on the role of the nuclear family. Even the Bible seems to be ambivalent about it when Jesus says, leave father and mother behind. But nonetheless, you write with gender, with regard to the family nucleus, so-called gender theory, one of the pieces, uh, important pieces of Anglo-American postmodernism is not what it's portrayed to be, colon. 
while gender theory, with its militant commendation of homosexuality and concomitant deprecation of heterosexuality, it staged to appear like a liturgized repentance for the past abuses of machismo. Deep down, it is the gambit of a more sweeping maneuver of doing away with the family, which techno-fascism resents for two reasons. One, However much violence and dysfunction it may breed within its four walls, the family still represents a decisional unit not strictly under governmental control. And two, economic relationships in the household are managed in a communistic fashion, uh, for example, with sentimental cooperativeness, to which techno-fascism is programmatically opposed. Uh, and you go on. like, Tell us your insights now about what's going on with gender, uh, transhumanism, transgenderism. You know, and the, the yeah. way that the techno structure plays this game and where they have us kind of situated right now in their hands. Yeah, I, uh, I, I as I said, well, I've yet to understand the, the story of the vaccine, but we'll eventually get to it. keep our discussions going, feeding each other's thoughts. But yeah, uh, for, for the gender story, um, it seems to be fitting in with the with the depopulation agenda, which is a cliche, but there's truth. to it. And um, yeah, and. Communistically in the family, yes, the state decides how to distribute, not you. So, yeah, the family is, is obnoxious in regard. Uh, true, they may conquer the family by brainwashing the parents, and they do, but it doesn't always work. And, uh, you know, I think we discussed this. The French president says, says I really want to, I really want to, uh, emmerder. So this was, uh, I really want to give hell to those who are voting against me, right? And uh, this recalcitrance, uh, it bothers the system. They want complete <laughs> control. I mean, yeah. and so it's like 20% escapes. It's huge. We think it's not huge. You have 80, you should be happy. No, nah. 20% is huge away from my um, AIDS, the story of AIDS, which I'm pretty much convinced that it was utter fraud. Uh, the, the story of the HIV causing AIDS was concocted by the same folks that 40 years were at the helm of the, uh, of the NIH and still are today. And uh, that was plain, right? Evil virus uh, transmitted. It started with a gay community, a very, very circumscribed group. But then they made it into a sexual, you know, that sexual pest. And, um, and, 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 and then it conveniently migrated to Africa, where allegedly we were to believe that the the, 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 the genitalia of Africa was just infected, all of it. <laughs> and so the message was condoms, 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 condoms. In other words, there's too many of you, you know, but whatever. So that was that. Um, so the, so, and then there is the, if they break away, if they break away the, if they, kill the familiar nucleus, they can further destroy the, they can get further control of the, I think, of the reproductive apparatus in a way. And, um, and as far as, because, and, and, and also they're playing on the fact that sexually we're very, very malleable. Um, it is true that man and woman and, you know, are created for, to procreate. But if you look at our, and I don't know if I've said this already, if you look at our sexual history, but even cursorily, we as human beings have done everything. So it's not, it's, it's not strictly an instinct. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, we have done everything. And so things, and even our sexual mores, if you look them anthropologically over the course of history, you know, they, and sociology have done this, they change. Certain things were accepted, then they weren't, then they're accepted again, and they were not. The codes kept varying. 
certain taboos stayed, but let's take you know the worst, one of the worst for us, uh, incest. Now, I remember reading, I don't know if I've told this story, I tell it all the time. When I don't I was, think so, yeah. When I was, um, when I was studying, when in high school, classical Italian high school here, you, they make you, you study Latin Greek and they made you read philology. And so you study and they were representing Oedipus Rex, the, the mm-hmm. tragedy where Oedipus um, you know, actually becomes his mother, his mother's lover without knowing by which, so commits, commits the taboo. And it's supposedly in this scene and then all the, the, the drama supposedly is supposed to in, you know, cause shock in the audience because it is a taboo. And so, and they were representing the show all over Greece, but there was one region in Greece where incest was not. And when that scene came, and I, I forget when it was, but that he has the realization that Jocasta was, is, is, is queen, is actually his mom. From the crowd, they were getting, you know, jeering and, and lurid comments and catcalls and whatnot. <laughs> And so it's kind of, you know, if, if you were the producer of that play and you would be, I forget what city it was, and I've been trying to find it, but what region you'd think, whoops, that didn't go well. What's wrong <laughs> That's with not the intended response. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with these guys? I mean, where the hell am I? And um, yeah, so we say, oh, you know, Aristotle, Sindaresis, or we know what the good is. We know what the proper sexual conduct is do we according to our record we absolutely don't and or we kind of don't so i think the system plays a lot mm-hmm. that we are much more sexually malleable than what we think. and things that are considered atrocious were actually done without big deal and then the, even the you know, the bible tells you that there were all sorts of things that were prohibited by the law that we consider now just disgusting but everybody did it and so they needed to have prohibitions against so a lot of all this uh, precisely because sexually we're, uh, we can be directed like termites of a very interesting, very mysterious, I think. I don't know if, I haven't read the most, more recent research, but the determination of the sex of the workers uh, inside right, the cast right, right, right. Of, of termites, they can de- apparently they can determine it. And it seems to me they're playing the same. And, but they can't go about it chemically as the termites because we're built different. So they're playing this game of now starting to show us, I don't know, pictures of admirals with mustache but high heels and uh, things that start to, you know. <laughs> I love your sense of shock at this stuff. I find it refreshing, right? No, it's just so it's odd not. on TV that we see these people. It's totally yeah. shocking. Yeah. But, but at first, you know, some, some of us, you know, some of the older uh, people that they're steeped in the old versions, they go, oh, my God. But the, one, the younger ones, you know, they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's like cannibalism, right? Uh, for us, it's another taboo. But, and I don't know if I discussed this, but in anthropology, you study all these explorers that go to cannibal land. Uh-huh. And, and so, and then they get amongst them and they shake hands and they're all pretty nice guys, you know, and, <laughs> and they talk and they tell you about how, you know, they, uh, they call uh, human flesh, they call it like long pig because it, it, it tastes like pig, but it's, it's not so long pig. And, and they don't like eating white people because they're too salty and they tell you all these things. And, uh, and at the end of the day, the anthropologist who keeps this cool, ask them, but, but why, why do you do that? Why do you eat? And the answer, and he asked this question everywhere. And the cannibals, everywhere they, everywhere they, everywhere the interviewer goes, they always give the same answer. And the answer they give is, why not? <laughs> 
And sexually, it could be the same. So I could say, what about this procreation, right? And they say, yes, and why not everything else? Yeah, right. And so, because our record is staggeringly, let's call it diverse. So when the old school people tell us, oh, you know, you know, this is it, man, woman, and good and bad. Yes, man and woman, okay, but good and bad, I don't know. It's, it's more complicated to say. And uh, so I think that we have people at the top who are hella good and they, they play on this plasticity of our, of our impulses. As a, as, as a disruptive tool, right? Or, as, or as, what's, what's the end game there then? The end game is, I think, to castrate as much as possible because there's so much flesh that they don't know what to do. Flesh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This, yeah. Is what Trump, this is what Trump is about. You know, and some of the saying, poetry I think you've articulated before with that is the notion that like sexless creatures are, um, you know, they work well on an assembly line, you sure, know, sure, that they sure. fit in. You, you know, in the termitary, you have drones, workers, and so forth. And sure. uh, the other piece yeah, that... The well, it was just that I had seen in William Blake this week that at this stage of history, he's pretty prophetic in his cycles, but he sees the goal of uh, the leaders is always to create hermaphrodites. And I think he was barking up a similar truth yeah. when you put his Great. use of the word hermaphrodite in context. He's saying the same thing. He could see it so clearly. That's a, that's a great quote, and I please pass. I'll it send on. you some stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, this is this is great, fantastic hermaphrodite. Yeah. Didn't think of that one. That's great. But yeah. I, beautiful. Um, I was saying, please do. Um, uh, Trump. I mean, what was Trump about? This MAGA thing again? Flush out how much opposition because all their supporters. Who are they? There were people that just because they were yeah, establish, yeah. establishment whites would get inducted into the high, the lower strata of the alphas by default. But in the new system where this, where the Commonwealth owns the world, it owns the world. It can recruit the best talent from everywhere it wishes. It doesn't need lesser intelligences, even white and autochthonous. They're disposable. They can dispose of the highest minds in their scientific apparatus anyway. Imagine like second, third tier minds in, in the technology. So, and, and so they, these are the people who have left, you know, aban- feel abandoned. And so just, I guess they wanted to see how many there were, and as I said before, and how threatening. And I think this, they, they're, they're not, they, they're, they're substantial group. And not dangerous into huh so how about that uh you know unless michael or guido you have kind of concluding comments it's the the idea that we're we're piecing together here some of the you know deeper understanding of the techno structure and techno fascism and then we plan to put this this uh this organization and to tell the story of you know who wields it the anglo-american commonwealth how this was deployed uh mostly in the 20th century but you're going to use great great references from dante the uh, Guelphs and the Gibelin, if I'm pronouncing that right. Well, I, I certainly know the concept well in the group, but, um, and, you know, these are fascinating essays. So we've got at least one, if not two more on this book. And I think the timing is going to be good. Maybe part three will come out right when you're releasing your book. So I hope that's uh, hope a reason so. for hope, Guido. Yeah. And uh, reminding people, is your website back up and running? I'll be honest that no. after the last one on anarchism, somebody wrote to me and said it might've even been hacked. They got like booby pictures or something, you know, oh so they want yeah, you check okay. it again or have Suzanne check it. Oh, um, wow. Okay. I'm not, I forgot. And you would think I'd be able to look that up that day. And I might have even responded to the commenter, commentator on YouTube. But um, hmm. but anyhow, you know, so find these books. You're going to find Conjuring Hitler and, um, and the Ideology of Tyranny. And they're going to help you start piecing together a series of other books. I have a, an essay I read, and we'll do a show on this one time. Guido wrote a very seminal essay 
on 9-11, uh, the whole history of the U.S. involvement in Afghanistan. And uh, so a lot more forthcoming. So I encourage people, we get a lot of good feedback when we have you on, Guido. And uh, yeah. you know, we're helping people to understand the larger corpus. Michael, concluding thoughts or anything? How are you doing this week? I'm good to go. Actually, speaking of insects, I, 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 I harvested a bunch of honey the other day and got stung three, four times. Wow. Which never happens, but they got stuck under my sleeve because they don't like to, they don't like to sting. But if they get they get afraid, they'll let you have it. Yeah. So uh, lots of actually when Guido was talking about the gender at this time of the year, what happens? Uh, in fact, they're about to do it. They haven't done it already today. I haven't checked. the The workers drive out the drone. The drones get kicked out of the hive to go <laughs> starve. Mm -hmm. And uh, because they're, they're, they're of no use anymore because the queen's not going to be laying anymore. Or they can overcharge people for electricity for a long, cold winter. And they do. I mean, and the, and the, <laughs> That's what the, the workers the worker do, do. Yeah. decide the gender of the eggs. Yeah. And the way they treat the eggs is what you have. So you better believe the, techno, the technocracy studies this. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, this is great. Greedo, I'll see you in a couple of weeks in uh, Umbria. Right. And, uh, yes. and uh, we'll, we'll talk then. Maybe we can talk about it on a future uh, podcast. Uh, you'd said like cool things going on in your house. You had some concerns. So uh, we'll talk about that too. Hopefully we'll have yeah, a cool, yeah, yeah. shocking story to share with people. I tell you, I have a lot of experience in that background. So we'll, we I teased it now. Yeah, awesome, awesome. All Thanks right, everybody for listening to the Regeneration Podcast. We'll see you again next week. Bye.